and uh, it's my privilege to lead the team. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at uh, one of the first preaches, or the first preach, uh, that was made after Jesus ascended into heaven. And it's, it's so thrilling really to... Um, oh, just remembered I've forgotten something. But uh, it's, it's, so, it's so thrilling... To, to know that as we've been worshipping Jesus, it's, it's formed such a great platform for what I want to preach about this morning. It's just great to know that God is uh, directing Alid and the guys as they've brought contributions and it fits and dovetails so well into all I want to say today as I speak for a few moments. Just before we do that, stewards, if I can ask you to take the offering, please, that would be absolutely brilliant. If you are a visitor, and I know there's many of you here today, um, please don't feel any... Uh, uh, obligation or pressure to give. It's in-house business, um, so that's for those that are part of us and uh, who are playing a part in so many ways. Lord, thank you that you do bless us in many ways. Thank you you bless us financially. And as we give to you, would you bless it and use it for the extension of your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's also great to have um, Ian, Ian Ashby with us from Portsmouth, um, in New Hampshire, in, um, from the States. Um, over the last few years, he's, he's uh, supported Simon and uh, Alison Wong when they've been in Dover and uh, uh, Rochester, more, more recently moved to Atlanta. But Ian, could you just come up and just uh, tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing over there and a uh, bit of a greeting, really, because it's great to hear what different New Frontiers churches are doing right around the world. So. Uh, yeah, I just want to bring greetings from New England and from the churches I serve in the northeastern part of the United States, uh, where we have churches in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Maine, and my home churches in New Hampshire. Uh, that's uh, Harbour Church in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Christ the King in Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, I first came here, in fact, I last came to King's Church 30 years ago. Uh, when I was living in Bromley and just become a Christian that year at Beacon Hill and it was a lot smaller then. Uh, so it's been great to watch the progress of your church over the years and I uh, just want to commend you really for your reputation for sending people uh, to different places around the world, including New England, uh, where sons, two sons of uh, King's Church have really made a valuable contribution uh, over the last few years. I've worked with them and... Uh, as uh, Paul said, the son of Wong. Also, Matthew Brousset, if you know the Brousseys. Uh, so Simon uh, has done an excellent job really of leading that church through a time of transition and uh, making it more outwardly focused. Now his transition down to Atlanta and he and Ali and uh, Ali's mum, Beryl, and the girls there are flourishing down there and doing a great job where he's part of the leadership team with Carl Harrington. Uh, Matthew Brousset is preaching for me right now in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire and uh, we are going to be making him an elder in two weeks' time and uh, so I'll be working very closely with him. Uh, so it's been great, my mum uh, now attending this church, it's taken her 20 years to get here, uh, so uh, I'm thankful that she's here, please take care of her, thank you. It's great to hear, isn't it, what, what God's doing right around the world. And 
young Matthew. Do some of you remember young Matthew? So, being, being elderized in a few weeks' time, <laughs> whatever that is, I mean, you know, sounds like liquidized, doesn't it? It's sort of a... No, it's absolutely thrilling. It is so good. Thank you for just sharing that in. That's great. Wow. We're going to dive into the Bible, as is our habit, and we're going to look at what, see what it says. And we're going to look to bring some application. The title for the preach this morning is The First Steps. And I'm predominantly talking about the first steps that you take as a Christian. And so it's great, Matt, to be baptising you a little bit later. I'm going to talk about some of those first steps that Matt has taken and one he's about to take. But the reason I'm sharing it in this context is because it doesn't really matter if you've been a Christian just five days or 30 years. Many of these steps are applicable to you today. Because things don't change. A bit like when you learn to walk. Those first steps that you take when you learn to walk, 30 years later, you're still using the same muscles, you're still doing it the same way. And in the Christian faith, it's very similar to that. There are many things that you do time after time after time. I'm going to start looking at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. I'm going to read some verses, explain them, then move on to the next passage but I want to look really in detail at verse 38. So that's where I'm going to linger for just a little bit of time before we have the privilege of baptising Matt. I mean, he's just shut off, but he will be back. I hope. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was, Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. There's probably hundreds if not thousands of people in front of him and he starts by talking about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Now many of them would have known exactly who he was. Only a few months earlier, they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. It was a great celebration. Palm leaves off trees, he came in on a donkey. People would have known Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. He was an incredible teacher. He taught as one with real authority. To put it in everyday language, if you did what Jesus said, it would make a difference in your life. You'd find he was reliable. He explained things and if you put them into practice in your life, you'd think, wow, it works. They weren't just theories or ideas or I read this in a book. Jesus really knew what he was talking about. But not only that, God backed him up with signs, wonders and miracles. There would have been people in the crowd listening to Peter who had been healed. Maybe blind eyes had been opened, deaf ears unblocked. Maybe there were those standing in front of Peter who for years and years and years hadn't been able to stand but they had this encounter with Jesus and their lives were absolutely transformed. And this would have been common knowledge. This wasn't new to the crowd. They had heard of this Jesus from Nazareth. They'd heard of, they'd heard of him. It wouldn't have been new things. Verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Peter didn't hold his punches. Again, they would have been familiar with this. They would have known that Jesus had been crucified. 
only a matter of a month or two earlier, there was a sham trial and this man Jesus, who had taught amazingly, done some amazing miracles, he was nailed to a cross. He was crucified. But what the crowd wouldn't have realised is that this was part of God's purpose. God had a purpose in it. God had a plan that he had been weaving through history. We've been singing about that plan this morning. It happened according to God's set purpose and his plan. In fact, God handed him over for this very purpose. And we've been singing, haven't we? Why was he handed over? That we might be free. But in verse 23 it says this. And this is something the crowd might not have been aware of. But God raised him from the dead. He was crucified. A spear went in his side. He was taken down from the cross. He was laid in a tomb. A stone was rolled in front of it. Soldiers were put on guard. He was dead. But God raised him from the dead. Freeing, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We move on to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. You see, the story of Jesus does not end in a miserable death, but in a glorious resurrection. Now, the crowd who were gathered there may not have been aware of that, although, in fact, do you know that Jesus appeared over a period of 40 days to over 500 people? Many of the crowd may not have realised that Jesus had come back to life, but Peter is saying, do you know what? He did. And I am a witness of the fact that he came back to life. I saw him. I ate with him. I touched him. In actual fact, Thomas, my friend here, just on my left, he put his fingers into the nail holes on his hand. He put his fingers into his side. Do you know what? Jesus isn't dead and in a tomb. He has risen from the dead. He is alive. Now that would have been news to the crowd. They wouldn't have been aware of these things. You see, a witness, and the phrase used in, this book of Acts, in the book of Acts here, witness, isn't a religious term, it's a legal term. A witness doesn't just talk about what they presume happened, they talk, it talks about exactly what happened. I saw this. If you stand in front of a judge as a witness, he doesn't really care what you thought happened, he wants to know what you saw, what you heard. He makes the judgment. He just wants you to tell what you saw and heard. And Peter is saying exactly the same thing. He's saying what he saw and he heard. Jesus is alive. He was crucified. He did really die, but he is now risen from the dead. Peter spoke of, as a witness what he had seen and heard. And then in verse 36 and 37 it says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter wants them to be clear on this. He says, I want you to be assured of this. I am assuring you that what I am saying is true. There is no doubt about this. The, 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 the one you say you follow, this God, Jehovah, he made Jesus of Nazareth both Lord and Christ. The word Lord is, is, is talking about one having power and authority. The same phrase is used about God the Father himself. He says, Jesus is Lord, but he's also the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that they'd been waiting for for centuries and centuries before and they had crucified him. They had nailed him to a cross. They didn't realise it. At that point, they realised that this wasn't just some random man that had been crucified. That would have been terrible. But they had killed the Messiah. They had committed a hideous act against God and his son, the sent one. And when they realised that it was their sin that had sent Jesus to the cross, it says this, they were cut to the heart. What shall we do? What shall we do? They realised. They believed the message. Faith sprang up and they reached out for God. When you realise you've done something wrong, aren't you eager to put it right? They were. Now Peter said that they had crucified the Messiah. I, I don't think any of them would have nailed Jesus to the cross. But what he's saying is, it was their sin. It was their rebellion. It was their offence in God's sight that had sent Jesus to the cross. And the same is true today. The reason Jesus died on the cross is because of our sin. Because we've turned our back on God. And God is so keen to have a relationship with us. He is so keen to put that right. He sent his one and only son to die for you. Your sin sent Christ to the cross. You weren't there. But God the Father poured out his wrath and his hatred at sin on his son that we might go free. That's why we can sing the songs that we sang this morning. That's why we can rejoice and celebrate in God's grace. Because Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, paid the price for my rebellion. Do I deserve it? No. Do I bring anything good to this equation? No. I'm the reason Christ died. Richard, you are the reason Christ died on the cross for your sin. And that can be multiplied hundreds of times across this auditorium this morning. And what I want to major on this morning is what was their response? When, when the crowd heard this, it says they were cut to the heart and they said, what must I do? I was involved in the crucifixion of the Son of God. What must I do? 
What's the first word that Peter says? Repent. Don't often, don't often hear much about repentance. Not a very popular word, not commonly used. Sometimes we say sorry, don't we? But if you're listening on, on TV sometimes to different people, even getting a sorry can be quite difficult when they've made a mistake. If I've caused any offence in any way, then I'm sorry for that. I'm not admitting I did, but if I were to have done. Peter doesn't ask people to say sorry. When my boys get caught doing something they shouldn't do, Sometimes they're sorry. Often they're sorry because they were caught. Or they're sorry for themselves because I'm disciplining them. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. Peter says we need to repent. And the starting point of our walk with God is repentance. You've got to get that right, start, you've got to get that right at the very start. It's repentance. Repentance is a whole lot more than sorry. They had to repent. The crowd had to repent. The root idea of repentance is to change one's mind. It's to choose to walk on a completely new path in a different direction. They, the crowd had been walking down this way. Suddenly, they reached this point of crisis. They heard a message. They understood what they had done. And Peter says, you need to repent. Now that isn't saying sorry and continuing to walk the same way as you've been walking before. No, there was a point of crisis. Now I've got a decision to make. I either continue the way I am or I turn around to follow my Jesus. Repentance has at its heart a change of mind. An understanding that I was heading in the wrong direction before, I have now made a decision to turn around and follow Jesus. At the very beginning, some of the first recorded words of Jesus were, Come, follow me. If you're following Jesus, you can't be following someone else at the same time. If you're following Jesus, when he gets up and goes for a walk, you get up and go for a walk. When he stops to eat, you stop to eat. Where he lays his head, you lay his head. If you're following Jesus, that's how it goes in a physical way. But actually it's the same for us as well. At the, at the root idea there is this idea of repentance. Phil Moore says this, and I, I really want to commend his commentaries. Um, on some of the New Testament. Phil Moore's written a number of commentaries. This is what he says about this passage. True, true conversion is about genuine, heartfelt change of mind which results in a new way of life. Acts 26 verse 20 says pretty much the same thing. I preach, this is the Apostle Paul, I preach that they should repent and turn to God. You need to repent, where's God? I'm turning to him. I'm turning to where God, I'm turning to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. You see, you see true repentance because of, of how people then live on the back of it. And this is foundational for us saints, brothers and sisters, friends. It's, it's foundational because if you do not start with an understanding that Christianity starts in repentance, you're going to have a battle with God the whole way through. 
Because you're always going to be battling, who's the boss? You see, salvation is a wonderful thing, and we're going to look at one of the great benefits of it in a minute. But at its heart, it's saying, I'm following Jesus as my Lord. He is my Lord. He is my King. I am subject to him. I have died to that old way of life. I have put it aside. When, when Christ died, I died with him. My sin died on that cross, but so did, in a sense, my, my opportunity to live my own way. I said, no, I've said no to that. I'm following Christ. And if we don't get that in at the very heart, you're going to battle. That's at the very start. Salvation is a wonderful free gift, but it will cost you everything. Absolutely everything. Now, I've just picked out three things in connection with repentance. I think which, which is all in the mix, really. The first thing is this. In repentance, you realise you've failed to hit the target. There has to be that point where you've just realised, I've not hit the target. That's, that's exactly what happened here. Peter explained about who Jesus was, what he had done, what they had done. They realised they'd missed the target by a million miles. They were not coming up to scratch themselves. And he says they were cut to the heart. The second thing you have to realise is you can't fix it on your own. doesn't matter how hard you try, you cannot sort the problem out on your own. And the third step is you realise, therefore, I've got to follow Christ. I need his help. I need his righteousness. I need his forgiveness. I need his empowering of the Holy Spirit if I'm going to live right and follow him. Jesus said something very similar to it in Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Repentance again at the very heart. I'm following Jesus. You may think this is a bit tough. This is a bit heavy. I'm a guest here. Didn't know I was going to be preached at. Or for others of you, you may be thinking, I'm not a guest here and it's still a bit heavy. (laughs) But Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything he hasn't done himself. He said, come, follow me. He didn't say, oh, by the way, go over there, pick up your cross, head over there and, and die. He says, come, follow me. We're, just, we're following our Lord and our Saviour. If you've got your Bibles, just turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. You may see this seems a bit narrow. This is a bit hard. I, I don't know if I... You know, I don't mind adding Christianity onto my life. I may attend Kings. It's quite lively. Music can be good at times and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite a nice place to be. I'll, I'll, add, I'll add... Sorry, Alid. <laughs> you know, just got to be honest. Um, <laughs> repentance. You may say this is a bit narrow. I don't mind, add, I don't mind adding Jesus on. This is what Jesus said. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only few find it. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to take off your pride, you've got to strip off your arrogance and your self-sufficiency 
And you've got to understand, Jesus, it's, it's all you. And you edge foot through this gate knowing it's not me, it's Christ. I'm leaning on you, Jesus. I'm relying on you. And the wonderful thing is, it doesn't stop at repentance. Do you know what repentance leads to? It leads to forgiveness. One of the outstanding features of the gospel is that we are forgiven. It isn't dependent on our effort to make amends. It's dependent on Christ paying the cross, paying the price. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 7 and 8, in Christ we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You see, once you've, once you've got the repentance, do, do you know that the other side of it is Forgiveness. It's the wonderful liberty and freedom of being forgiven. Not dependent on whether you feel like you're forgiven, because that really doesn't matter. It's on the fact that God the Father says, you are forgiven. Christ has paid the price for your sin. The wrath of God has been poured out on Christ. Therefore, you stand free and forgiven. At the root of the word forgiven is erased or blotted out. All of Santino's sin, all of it, the breadth of it, the depth of it, the length of it, has been blotted out by Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He is now free, he is now forgiven, because he's put his trust in Christ. And that is the same for every single person who puts their trust in Jesus. You put your trust, you repent, you say, I cannot do it on my own. I need you, I need a saviour. And what a glorious saviour we've got. Absolutely forgiven. You may say, I have done it. I am guilty. I can't make up for it and I don't deserve it. They may all be true in actual fact. They probably are all true. But it really doesn't matter. Because the forgiveness isn't based on your performance. It's based on Christ. And if the God the Father says you are forgiven, that's what you need to listen to. The enemy will always tell you you're not forgiven. He'll always tell you you're dirty and you're rotten and you failed yet again. But that's not what we listen to. You are forgiven. And Simon, as he read out wonderfully, he said, didn't he? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can. Not if you've put your trust in Christ. Absolutely nothing can. It's wonderful news. You are forgiven. I haven't got a clue where I am. But you've got to accept it. And too many of you are living with low-level condemnation, weighed down by guilt, because you haven't accepted the fact you are forgiven. You need to receive it. Repentance is something you do, forgiveness is something you receive. You need to receive it. 
You could not be purer in God's sight than you are now because when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ and Christ is absolutely pure. Cleansed. Not only positionally, he wants you to know it experientially as well. He wants you to know what it is to be washed by the blood, your conscience to be cleansed and to know freedom and a liberty in him. That's what's possible. Church, we mustn't be a group of people that walk around with low-level guilt or condemnation. We're free. We're free. Because Jesus has paid the price. It's wonderful, wonderful news. The first fruit... What was the first thing they were asked to do on the back of their repentance? Who can shout it out? The first thing they were asked to do as a mark of their repentance was to be baptised. I will find it in a minute. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism in water follows repentance. It's the next step. In a few moments, we're going to be baptising Matt. That is the right thing to be done. Don't worry about Megamix coming in. It's actually great. They're going to join us for the baptisms. Brilliant, I found my notes on baptism. (laughs) Peter tells them that there is now something specific they must do as a remark of their repentance. They need to be baptised. It follows repentance and faith in Christ. It doesn't come before. It is an individual decision that a person makes in response to accepting the Gospel. It's not something that someone can do on your behalf. No one can baptise you on your behalf to try and put you right with God. It is a decision you make as a believer. We're going to hear in a little while how Matt came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. Baptism is the next step. It follows it. It's biblical. And it's not just Acts chapter 2. We find it throughout the Bible that baptism in water is the next step. It is a sign that he's, that it's a sign for Matt that his sins have been washed away. It is an outward sign of an inward work. He is making a public statement, I am in Christ. My old life is dead and buried. From now on, Jesus is my Lord and I am living only for him. Fillmore says this, Baptism is still the first demand that Jesus makes of all those who follow him. 2,000 years of history hasn't changed that fact. Baptism in water is still the first demand Jesus makes of those who follow him. him. Because only those who swallow their pride, obey their new master at the first hurdle, can become true disciples at all. There may be some of you here today, you've put your trust in Christ, you've not been baptised in water yet, you do need to be. This bit hasn't been washed away over 2,000 years. It's still true today, as it was then. Jesus himself was baptised. If you want to be baptised 
and you feel provoked by what I'm saying, you know the Holy Spirit's on you. When I was in a meeting like this about 25 years ago and one of the elders was preaching about baptism, I hadn't been baptised and I just knew in the depth, in the pit of my stomach I had to be baptised. I was petrified. I was in my teens, I was the most timid teenager this church has ever had in its ranks. But I went up to one of the elders at the end and said, I know I need to be baptised. And that evening they were doing the baptisms. I was baptised that evening. They said, they're going to make me say something out in front of everyone. It was a few years years ago. I haven't changed at all. (laughs) But I did it. And that's the same for us Christians, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's about obedience. It's about following Jesus. Whether it's baptism or something else, in the end it comes down to the same thing. When he speaks, are you listening? When he speaks, will you do what he says? It's the first hurdle. And there'll be many other things where Jesus is going to say, come follow me. And you say, I don't want to follow you. But I'm going to, because you're Lord of my life. If I can invite the band back up, please. Let's stand and let's pray. If you want to know more about what it is to follow Jesus... Come and find me at the end because I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. I'd love to introduce you to this one who has made such a difference in my life and so many hundreds of other people's lives who are here today. He's a wonderful saviour, but he will ask everything from you. Lord, we thank you, Jesus Christ, for taking away our sin. I want to thank you for taking away Matt's sin. Lord, it's such a joy and a privilege to be baptising him in a few moments' time. Oh, we love it. We absolutely love it. Lord, would you come and speak into our hearts, whether it's repentance, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's, whether it's there's, there's people here today and you're just on a journey with Jesus trying to find out more about him. Oh God, would you make yourself ever so real to them today, we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a song, then we're going to introduce Matt to you. If you've got children in Wrigley's, can I please ask you to go and collect them from Wrigley's? We cannot let them go unless mum, dad or guardian go to collect them. That's great, and we're going to worship Jesus, and then Sam's going to lead us through the next bit.